welcome to another episode of the Ten Laws Podcast with East Forest. I'm Forest. Sometimes that's what I'm called. Uh, strange days. Strange days. What a difference a week can make. We were we were here a week ago, and a lot's been happening. Obviously, with this pandemic, you know, I try to make these podcasts as evergreen as possible meaning for them to kind of, you know, be timeless as I can. But sometimes, sometimes things happen and I like to be able to talk about them. So I thought this intro would be a good way to do this. This is March 16th in the evening, 2020. And as, as we know, things are progressing so rapidly with COVID-19, the coronavirus. So, hey, if this is in the future and you're here for our wonderful conversation with Mark Bird of Hammock, then uh, you can skip this. That's totally cool. Or if you don't want to hear any more about the corona or just how I feel about it or where I'm at, you can also totally skip it. Uh, it's a it's a great conversation with Mark. And I, um, I've been recording a lot of podcasts in the last couple of weeks since I got back from Australia. And I've been really, my heart's been warmed by the people who have been saying yes to joining us here. And that has a lot to do with you guys just spreading the podcast around and doing the, the reviews and ratings that you do, especially on Apple Podcasts. So if you want to give it a five-star review, you can do it more than once. As I'm talking, that would be great. But Mark was like amazingly vulnerable in this conversation, just revealing his own process and his own private uh, emotions in life and the struggles that he's been going through. And the reason I chose to pick this particular podcast for today is because it's relevant in, in theme. And a lot of what we talk about here on the 10 Laws podcast, you know, is, is super relevant to what we're going through now. It's sort of like all of us who are, quote unquote, on our path, on the sort of any kind of awakening that you've gone through of mindfulness and, and feeling like you want to be in connection to a larger message of your soul and being in alignment sort of with your own growth, the work that you do to do that and clearing away the noise, hearing your own internal voice, uh, speaking and living in truth and what your truth is, are the exact tools that are being asked of us now during this this crisis that we're in, this pandemic. You know, it's like we're at the spear tip of a kind of human evolution that has been going on that I like to sometimes call the great transition that we're in. And that's something that's been happening probably for generations, but that's been more acute since, say, pre-2012 when things kind of got to a bit of a frenzy with that whole notion. But even the minds themselves, right, in a sense, they were, uh, rem- they were prescient about what was to come and this sort of larger shift, perhaps, in consciousness. And I have a feeling that what's happening now is it's part of that and it's just in a more alive way. It's more in front of us. But... I, I don't know how I, I really feel about this. And uh, I feel a lot of things, just like you, I would imagine. There are times when I feel uh, really scared. Like I went to the, the store with Rada, um, was it yesterday maybe? And uh, the you know, aisles, the food's gone. There's nothing there. Like in certain aspects, like there was no meat, there was no frozen vegetables, there were no canned goods really. Um, there are other things in the store, but seeing that like, in America, which I know happens at other parts of the world in normal times of just supply not being there, 
was shocking. And there was a certain energy in the air that was simultaneously reminiscent in a hopeful way of post 9-11 when I was in New York City, of sort of people coming together. But also there was a hunger and this animalistic fear-driven attitude where you're like, oh man, we, we're not that far away from people being quite panicked and quite quite even more scared than maybe they are. And and I feel that panic in myself, in that limbic part of my body. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a human, of course, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm an animal, just like everybody else. And our animal parts of our bodies can come alive when we see this stuff. But then conversely, there are times when I feel really in my strength and I feel really alive and I feel really purposeful and I'm full of ideas and energy. And um, I've, I've, been, I've been having all... like. A lot of creative ideas, and I've been working uh, lately with this new Baldwin Grand Piano. It's all new. It's 102 years old, but uh, I've been recording, and that was sort of my plan. Like I was going to come back from Australia, and I was going to uh, take a few weeks before Treefort, which has been postponed to September, to record. And that's how a lot of my, my records start, as I improvise on the piano, uh, often in the late mornings, and I do a few different ideas, try to come up with some ideas, and I just store them away. And after about a month of that, you know, you have 30, 40, 50 little ideas, and you start culling through that. And you just start building from there. Maybe you replace the piano parts and you make a record from there, but that becomes the beginnings. So when I'm, you know, expressing that creative side of myself in the morning, sometimes I feel like alive and purposeful. And man, I, it's. I, just this week, like I took a, a drive today to return my dog back to Karina, my former wife, and I had a lot of time on the road to think. And like I, I had I, all these ideas, like oh, I want to. I'm thinking about doing online ceremony and streaming, and I've been doing research into uh, getting higher fidelity audio on a stream, and and I think it's going to work, and that's something I want to do for you guys and start doing like world global healing ceremonies where I offer my music live um, as in, in longer formats for more people at a time. And we just come together as a community and see what that's like. And and I a couple of days ago, I was like, I knew I had a podcast coming up on Tuesday. But I was like, I don't want to wait. Like, I want to record a meditation to, to address what I'm feeling right now, which is like, I'm, I'm walking through this chaotic time. And so I uh, released a meditation. I, there's a last episode that was in between episodes, the uh, meditation for chaotic times. And that felt good to create. And I feel, I'm, it's like I'm feeling like I want to talk about it, even though I don't even know how I feel about it. I feel such a multiplicity of feelings. It's like diaspora of emotion. Um, and so maybe I'll, maybe I'll record more episodes where I just talk about what I'm thinking. And those are like bonus episodes or not. I mean, it really doesn't even matter, you know? Uh and maybe I'll find help people that we can we can talk about it specifically in a, in a timely way. And I'll, I don't know, man, but I'm I'm doing the best that I know how to do, and I'm just here to kind of share my experience. And I, I had a um, had an email that came in from my friend Christopher Shin, and uh, Christopher Shin was on the East Forest podcast uh, a bit back, an amazing episode. And if you listen to that episode, I think this email that I'm gonna, I'm going to read it might have even more context because he tells his personal story about how his leg was amputated because of a cancer diagnosis. And he's just a really sober, smart, intelligent, thoughtful guy living in New York City. He's a playwright uh, and 
I just, you know, I've got a lot of different messages from a lot of different people, you know, looking at this, what's been happening and how quickly it's been happening with different perspectives. And I liked his, it kind of woke me up a bit. So this is what Christopher Shin had to say in an email to his Patreon subscribers to whom I am one. It's uh, the subject is a pause. I've decided to pause my Patreon for a while. This means you will not be charged $2 at the start of April and won't be charged again until I restart it. It's an intense time. Daily life has changed, and I think this moment requires deep reflection, a step back. I worry that if I keep chronicling my thoughts, I may be insufficiently thoughtful, lapse into a kind of mania that prevents me from real psychic processing. I remember this feeling after 9-11. There was a moment when it felt like everyone might take a pause. That moment, it lasted briefly, maybe a few weeks. Pretty soon, most everybody I knew was back to thinking and acting how they did before the event. I remember this feeling in a more personal, key time when I was diagnosed with cancer in 2012. And then I was more or less able to take the enormity of what was happening to me, and there was no social pressure to resume mindfulness. This psychic work did not happen overnight. It took longer than the course of my illness, but gradually I was able to integrate my experiences. When I look back on my plays and opening in time and against, I see the results of this incomplete work and feel nostalgia for my separation from cultural madness that enabled it. When I was sick, I paid less attention to politics, gossip, pop culture, and contemporary art. I paid more attention to canonical, canonical wisdom and the rare, insightful contemporary thinker. This shift helped me better understand my personal situation and gave me more insight into our shared social reality. A few weeks ago, a friend sent me a section of an email I had written him during the post-illness period when I was integrating what I thought and felt in that time, and it was a bittersweet to read my words. I had greater clarity and depth then than I do today. Of course, the further out from illness I've gotten, the more I've had to re-enter the marketplace and maneuver accordingly. I'm not necessarily accusing myself of becoming more shallow, but I also do not want to miss this opportunity to step back again unravel my unusual ways of thinking so I can truly perceive what's unfolding and take the necessary time to learn from it. I plan to be back and I look forward to sharing what I've learned. Anyway, I just, what was sober about it, it was like sobering to the, uh, some of that panic feeling of sort of saying like maybe what is being asked of us, if not being forced upon us, is a pause. A pause. And I feel that fire in myself. Maybe it's sort of a, an American in modernity who's like, I need to do something. I need to solve the problems of the fact that like, uh, like many of us, my income, you know, almost half of my income is from live events is, 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 is not happening right now. And I don't know when it will start again. And most of the things in the future have been canceled. And I, I would imagine we're going to be in this for a while. Um, you know, the social disruption of this pandemic, I think it will be the hardest psychic shock more than the physical toll it will take medically. Now, that being said, I, uh, people will get sick and die as people do. And for this, it could be my heart goes out to those folks. Even if I could get sick, all of us, any of us could get sick. I think many of us will in different ways. But my point is that 
when you take away someone's job or you close down the things we we do, like going out to the bar or the restaurant or for some of us not being able to go into work, that's often our sense of identity in many ways and how we built it up. And when you take it away, what's left? If you haven't done a lot of your own work to know who you are, or what your truth is or how you hear it, that can be a really intense experience to be standing adrift. And I know that's perhaps the biggest shock, but I also see that as a gift and an opening before us. Look, I have ideas of things I want to do, like I said, and whether it's recording podcasts or not, or doing live ceremonies online, or there's these more ideas I've had. Um, and I may or may not explore them. You know, the ones that make me feel alive, I will. But I want to use my own barometer to be really honest about what's being asked of me and what fire am I rushing to put out? Because on the other side of this, being forced to stop and not do things, there is a quiet beauty to that as well. You know, most of the time, if we're not sick in this moment... And I, it, I look out the window and the spring is coming and you know, crocuses are coming up and it's a brilliant day. And many people are being given the gift that if they could just, if they want to go on a walk, they can go outside where maybe that wasn't as possible before. And God knows there's new challenges like kids are home from school and now we have to like, as a part-time stepdad, PTSD, uh, this is new territory for me. So... Like I'm saying, it's a, it's, a, it's a big shift and change, and there are gifts. So I would recommend getting outside if you can, doing the social distancing in that realm. You know, there's, if it's nice out, get some sunshine. You know, don't forget the basics. You can still get some exercise that way. You can go on a run. You can, you can go on a nice walk. Uh, you can pop on one of these meditations and listen to it out there. I also put together a playlist on Spotify that's called Music for Quarantine. <laughs> that's just some tracks that I think will help take you on a little inner journey, some deeper cuts too that don't always get some attention in the East Forest catalog. I know there's a lot of releases, so. Uh, but they are strange days indeed. And uh, we're in this together and it's it's everything has... Uh, sort of in, in, in duality, has the two sides to it. So for every chaotic energy that we feel rising up, know that there is another energy rising up that is of creation and new possibility, infinite possibilities. Which possibilities do you want to choose and how do you want to walk through them? Uh, you being in your presence and listening to that and taking a pause and taking some time is what is being asked. So as we move forward, we're going to get into this conversation with Mark. Just a little bit of business. Just so you know, I said Tree Fort Music Fest was postponed. It's now in the third week of September 2020, I believe. So right now I'm planning on doing it. Esalen Institute has shut down for four weeks as of today. They're still planning as of now to do our retreat uh, at the end of May. <clears throat> Excuse me. But... You don't have to check in to see what's going on with that, but I'm just letting you know that's the info on the ground. I was going to be doing a tour in California in the Northwest in May and June. That was what I wanted to put together. I don't know if that's going to be possible at this point. I don't know yet. Now, our Boulder, Utah yeah, Spirit Dive Retreat, October 1st through 4th is still on, but that's our plan, and it will be until we, we say otherwise, like anything happening 
we understand if you've signed up uh, that there may be a point where we need to give refunds based on the nature of COVID-19 at that point. But I'm just letting you know that uh, we, we haven't made any of those decisions right now. And I don't think anyone has for anything happening in the summer, let alone the fall. It's a big unknown. Uh, I already asked if you can review the podcast, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so there's been a lot of changes in my life this week, and I don't even have time to get into all of them. And maybe I will be at some point to share my process, but I think I've been processing enough. So let's get into this conversation with Mark Bird. I want to thank him. He's from Hammock. He's one half of Hammock. We talk about that. Let's do it. Cool, man. Thank you so much for giving us a little time. It's, it's nice to meet you. I've heard a lot about you over the years from Tim and not to mention being familiar with your music, of course. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited to do it. So looking forward to it. Do you do a lot of podcasts? Because I couldn't find a whole ton of interviews that you've done over the years. No, I, I don't. I don't do a lot. Nope. Uh <laughs> I did one that's probably supposed to come out in March, and then we did one called Five Questions, and then I did one uh, on sobriety, and uh, that's it. Okay. Well, where are you? Where's your studio? Where's this that I'm seeing you from? Uh, Franklin, Tennessee. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, Well, listen, man, I wanted to reach out and chat because this show is a lot about, you know, I do talk to musicians a lot, and that's sort of my own guilty pleasure, but I also end up talking to other folks, but I feel like the glue that holds it together is like kind of exploring, you know, how different people are managing their own lives and sort of by, from the inside out. And when I listen to your music uh, and the music you make with Andrew, and first off, I should say like, maybe it is a duo, right? Hammock? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we should give honor here to the other half that's not with us today. Yeah, well, he's uh, recovering from a tornado. Oh, the, the one that happened today? Yeah. Yeah, his oh house got God. hit. Yeah. Come on, really? No kidding. Not not like floored, but he's going to have to have a new roof. And uh, siding on one side got peeled off. And um, water, it started raining after the tornado came through. So water came into his bedroom and kitchen. Um and they're without power. And last I spoke was this morning, and he wasn't able to get out of his neighborhood. Um, where is that again? Where in is, Donaldson. Where? Donaldson. So if you look online, look for Donaldson um, pictures, and that's his neighborhood. I'm talking like houses completely destroyed. And, oh, uh, and so we're going to move all our gear out of there and, and uh, probably put it out here. Um, and uh, hope that eventually he can get back in the house and he's going to stay with his parents for right now. That's so heavy duty, man. It's like there's so much going on right now, whether it's like pandemics or, uh, you know, the crazy politics. It's a very heightened time. And then, of course, there's just, you know, tornadoes can come out of nowhere. Yeah. And, you know, last night, because where my wife and I live, we're much for we're like 25 minutes outside of Nashville and. And, um, I mean, it sounded horrible where we were, but we had yeah. no idea it was going to be as bad as it was because, um, 
I started getting texts and my family checking on us. And so I was like, well, what, what is happening? So, mm-hmm. um, found out from Andrew that, that, you know, right now he's charging their phones in their cars and getting a chainsaw out and getting trees up and, um, and then we'll eventually move all our gear out here and he'll stay with his parents for a while because it's he and his wife and their dog Aria. So I'm glad they're okay. It sounds like it really just skirted next to them. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it probably took off half of the shingles on the roof and, uh, and then caused, um, a leak in the kitchen area and in their bedroom. And then it hit just one side of the house where it just ripped the siding off that one side. But, you know, like our house was, our old house was flooded in 2010. We went through the 2010 flood, my wife and I, and you really don't know what damage is done to your house until you're able to really get in there and look at it and, and look, because it's usually more than you think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, things like music making, um, I don't know about you, but they, for me, they kind of, they come when my life is in order. It's harder for me to do or like anyone when like everything's a shit show. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, I kind of need to make music when my life is going out of control. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> like right now I'm in a pretty comfortable place in my life. And, um, to be honest with you, I'm struggling with inspiration. And so, um, that's, that's the, challenge for me is um is getting too comfortable what is the music making for you a therapeutic process for yourself or you're saying that like it's almost inspired by the chaos no 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 it's 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 always been a therapeutic thing for me um like the the album mysterium that we did uh we were in the process of making a different album uh and then my nephew passed away and all this music just poured out and um, and it's just kind of like the music creating a space for grief to kind of, you know, yeah. um, run through, do its thing and um, and hopefully empty out some things inside of me so that I have a space enough to hold it. Yeah. But you, I, I totally vibe with that, too. But you're saying that for you, if life is more balanced that there's less of a need or drive for you to die. Like in a sense, like it's, it wants to have an outlet of, of grief or the shadow. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'll tell you the truth that, uh, up until, um, everything and nothing album and then Mysterium, you know, there's always been a darkness in our music. Um, a lot of impermanence and things like that, but, you know, it's one thing to read, uh, you know, angsty poetry and and um, romanticize, you know, the darkness and and uh, but it's another thing to like just ghost. And I've lost a lot of people, but the loss of my nephew was just it's it's a different kind of grief and and um, no doubt it just uh, uh, it is. It is a, a, a pain that I I am still in awe of. It's it's an awe inspiring pain, and um, it's a loss that uh, for just not just for my sister, my whole family. You know, um, uh, that that one is the one that kind of said, "Hey, man, it's one thing to 
talk about it and um, be moody and angsty and all that. And it's another thing to really just know what the darkness is. Yeah, I think a lot of us don't know how to grieve. Not that there's a handbook, but I think there's something about it needs to happen. Like it's a very natural human process and it sucks. You know, it really hurts. I mean, I went through a divorce that really knocked me sideways about what it meant to grieve. And um, a lot of times people say that big things like near-death experiences or bankruptcy or divorces, you know, these are the things that usher, you know, bigger changes in our lives. And some people argue that's what needs to happen or is happening, like, on a societal level or global level to, like, get humanity to change in the way it needs to change. But did you find for yourself that going through that that process of grief, like, was kind of opening some doorways for you in some kind of change? Or was there some kind of opportunity there now to look back a bit? Yeah, I, I just have had a really intense last uh, almost six years. <laughs> just wow. really, really intense. And, and um, uh, you know, um, there's been a, an absolute interruption and upheaval in my life. And so many changes and so much growth and so many um, uh, painful things to finally walk through and deal with. And I don't mean like, you know, I, I've sat with a therapist and bullshitted a therapist many times, you know, but I'm talking about like really um, digging in deep and, and, and facing things and letting go is, is a big thing and uh, accepting things. Um, and so I do think that grief is is uh, it's important to go through through that. Um, I just don't think that you know we a lot of us can make our own misery because we're bored. You know we we, we get so <laughs> so bored with 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 you know the mundane. I mean we have a lot of leisure. You know I mean uh, yeah. You know there, there's just a lot, man. I mean you know like 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 compared to the way it used to be, most of us. I'm saying most. I'm not at all saying all, um, have, have it, have a comfortable, okay life. And, uh, sometimes I feel like we need to go kick over rocks and, and, and find snakes just to create, you know, some, some excitement and make, make life a little more dark. And so it almost seems like we're always looking for a negative or we're looking for something that we're not satisfied with or something that, you know, um, that that we can get our anger out and and put that somewhere and um until you like for me at least until I sat down and just really did uh, some work in emptiness just emptying myself out um I, I I had enough room now that I can hold life as life is and not the way I think it should be you know not my expectations of how i think things should go yes. but instead to accept and hold and live in the tension of of you know what i wish would happen and what actually is happening and when i'm in that place um i tend to be okay uh and i don't mean that everything's great and it's not okay but i can be okay you know it, it's it's okay by being not okay yeah an acceptance yeah. of it yeah. yeah what's what does that emptying process look like for you what what is that what is that well, um, so we're, we're, we're about to go deep here. Uh, cause I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I've, I've really changed a lot in the last six years. Um, I, uh, 
I went to a, a monastery in Big Sur, California, uh, back in 2014, May 2014. And um, I had recovered from neck surgery and decided that that's what I wanted to do for my first big travel trip. And I went up to Big Sur um, and I had some crazy things happen before I even got there. And um, I went there basically to try to just clean out from drinking. Um mm-hmm. I had t- attempted to not drink uh, and quit drinking for a while. And I thought for sure, because I had done meditation work and, and um, had practiced, you know, Zazen for a while and, and also um, just, you know, some spiritual disciplines. And um, that is that was all gone in my life. And so um, I went to this monastery hoping that I could clean out, hoping and I was hoping that I could not drink for about four or five days before I went so that I could be a little more able to take the silence and it i showed up a, it can be a big shock to just you know oh it's it's it, it, it was uh, yeah. it was uh, extremely shocking so i yeah. went there um I, I brought with me you know a little something to drink just to get me through the first night or two and um and was not expecting to have to have happen what happened and um I call it, you know, my breaking open moment. It was like I was broken open and I was breaking open. It was being done unto and I was doing it. It was very bizarre because I was sitting on this rock and actually on this bench and I was looking out over the ocean. It's beautiful and it's a monastery, but the silence was so quiet that uh, it made me fully aware of what a hornet's nest my mind had become. Mm-hmm. And um, as I sat there the third night in, um, I just was overtaken and began weeping and crying and, um, and I had a sense of surprise. Like I was sitting outside my body going, who is experiencing this right now? How is this happening? You know, you gave up on all this kind of stuff a long time ago. How is this happening? You know, cause I had very, I'd come become very rationalistic in my thinking and, and, um, was reading just so many, just a lot more science and I'm not anti-science, but a lot more science. And it was almost like, we're just mechanical machines and that's it. I don't mean that we're, we're not mechanical machines. I mean, and, and that, you you began your childhood in fundamentalism. So you're, oh yeah, you're kind of, yeah. And you're going out now towards sort of the materialism, and, rationalism, and, and uh, yeah, and had been for a long time and right. lived there. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, Departure Songs album and Oblivion Hymns were were like that's the height of my spinning into darkness. And um, and I don't mean, but I don't mean darkness in that I was like my life was horrible. It's just that I had an inner hopelessness and, and just a life. It's a futility to life. You know, there's just, and I was making my own misery in a lot of ways. A bit and nihilistic. So, yeah. Yeah. Very nihilistic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so then this breaking open happened. And for the next two days I sat there thinking what ha- I mean, it was so, it blew me away. I was so surprised by it. And I was just so raw and um, I did some journaling and I wrote down some things that really struck me that I thought I needed to take back with me and um, look through this booklet called, uh, I think it was like Smart Recovery or something. I brought it to see if I was going to take a test to see if I'm an alcoholic. And I passed that test big time. I mean, like like flying colors. And so when I got back, I was sure this is it. This is my change, man. This is it. This is my mm-hmm. before and after moment. Mm-hmm. And started drinking again. And so... Three weeks later, I ended up in an outpatient facility and uh, and 
slowly but surely began to thaw out. And so my my uh, emptying out process has been um, working the work that I do in my own recovery, working the work that I do in my own daily spiritual disciplines that I have. And, um, and I do a lot of, I, I do a lot of personal inventory and like I inventory my day at the end of the day. Um, and, and I just got back from the monastery just last week. This is my seventh time to go. And, um, and, and I do inventory when I'm out there and I, you know, just writing things down and, and, um, and then I make it and I ended up making, you know, amends with people and my marriage needed to, to, to be worked on. And, and we worked on that and we're in a really great place. And, um, it has been a very bizarre six years and about two, almost two years after I got sober, about a year and a half, my nephew passed away and oh, about man. a year and nine months and my nephew passed away. And then my wife and I were struggling and I found out just crazy things and, um, and uh, and I lost a lot, the last part, my last grandparents and a couple of friends, you know, OD'd. And it's just like, I don't mean to be all dark or anything, but that's the life, crazy, man. Yeah, yeah the crazy older, thing. Of, like, exactly. And the crazy yeah. thing about these six years is that it's been the most upheaval in my personal life and the scariest time, but yet probably the most in the, the, probably the greatest inner sense of I'm okay that I've had in my whole life. It's amazing. It's, it's like in the, uh, the deafening sounds, there's like the eye of the storm in a way, or it creates a kind of like ability to stand back and say, it's it, like you're saying, it's okay. It just is. Why? <laughs> I don't know what your belief systems are, my man, but when I hear stories like this, I just say like, you're a brave soul. That's like, you know, look what you're taking on, and I see it, and I, I well, I, that. I, I, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, uh, I've been loved by a lot of people. Um, uh, you know, three months into me getting clean, um, my wife and I were separating, and I had all my stuff packed in a car, and I was in a twelve step meeting, and I kind of shared what was going on, and. Um, as I was walking out, this older man just grabbed me and put his arms around me. And he said, man, Mark, you're going to be okay. Now, listen to me when I say this. It's not okay. But you are going to be okay. So it's okay. And it's not okay, but it's okay. And he he hugged me. And see, I grew up with in fundamentalism. I heard a lot of, you know, Christianese spiritual you know, um, banter and, and, uh, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me just say, you know, people say a lot in those, in those circles that they're praying for you or that they're thinking about or whatever, you know? And, um, when this man put his arms around me, it's like, Oh, I I totally believe what you're saying. I am. I knew it. I knew that I was going to be okay. And I, and part of the reason I knew I was going to be okay, because I had people like that in my life that, we're going to help carry me through um, when I feel like I can't even walk anymore, you know. And so learning to be a part of a community um, and helping other alcoholics and addicts, I, I help a lot of guys. Tonight I'm going to a treatment center to, to, to help people who are an outpatient. And it's been a very uh, humbling, amazing um, journey into wholeness. It sounds like that guy who... who said that to you was really um, witnessing you 
in, in from his own truth in a really truthful way. And it probably landed for you because it wasn't just some bullshit. It was like, look, it, this is, I know it. I, he's kind of telling you his own realization and really seeing you where you're at. And, not and he was like my placate. bodhisattva. He was my bodhisattva at that moment. You know, he yeah, was, he was yeah. like what I needed to be incarnated right then to, to be given to me. And, and, um, uh, and I, I experienced that a lot with, with other people, you know, and, and, um, being vulnerable with, with, with people. And so, you know, after that, I, 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 I continued therapy. I've continued to do, to go to the monastery once a year. And I have my own inner work that I do every morning. And, um, I, I think the most important thing for me is that, um, Altered states should lead to altered traits. You know, you've heard that saying. That, no, I that, haven't heard that one. Okay, so altered states lead should lead to altered traits. That's that's a Houston Smith saying, um, and 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 he he's referring to people who are you know you know doing psychedelics, and 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 I am not opposed to that. But for me, I can't do them um, because uh, it can lead me to want to do other things, and and but. Right. Um, there's a difference between using the, those kinds of things, whatever it is. It could be any kind of spiritual technology that we might be using. You know, mm-hmm. I used to use meditation to spiritually bypass and to zone out and not deal with some of the stuff that I was that I had been carrying around. And rather than facing what I needed to face, it was an escape. And um, with with this altered state almost that I experienced while I was in the monastery. I'm, that was my big bang and my universe is still expanding. You know what I mean? It's like that, that has just continued to expand and expand and expand and the altered traits that have come from it, you know, like the change, literal change in behavior, change in even the way I'm thinking. And, and I think sometimes, you know, what I was always guilty of is getting lost in kind of like spiritual make-believe and, and escapism and bypassing certain things rather than doing some of the real hardcore work, you know? Well, is is the differentiation there, like the, the kind of the choices you're making now? Like, I mean, you're recognizing your own will to say, I'm going to do these altered traits. This is what I'm bringing into my actual life. Yeah, I think that, I think it's, you know, it's much more, it's not just me thinking about it. It's not just me judging myself by my intentions. It's an intentionality that's followed by action. And to me, because I've read so much and have tried out so many different things, I had a guy tell me, he said, man, Mark, you you can just get so distracted. How about this? How about you just concentrate on your recovery for the first year? That's all you need to do. That's Mm -hmm. it. Because you can have so many spiritual, um, and not even spiritual, but whatever it is, you know, it can be a distraction. And um so, so focusing in on one thing long enough for that thing to start working on me. In other words, I'm doing the work in one area, not just hopping and like skimming. Because, you know, it's really easy to be a skimmer these days, you know, and think mm-hmm. you're an expert on something. You know, it's like the soundbite kind of culture we live in. But yeah. to sit and just give myself over to this work. I committed it to like, I'm going to do this for one year. This is all I'm going to do. But whatever they suggest that I that I should do, I'm going to do it because I've just always thought I've known what was best. And um, and in doing the work that was suggested, uh, it's like the action has given me a different way of thinking. 
My thoughts have changed because of the action, as opposed to my thoughts changing, hoping that my action will change. And they both work together. Don't get me wrong. But for me, where I am in my life and being, you know, an older guy is that I needed to do action. And that's the one thing I probably have always in some way avoided. I've always picked out the things that I liked the most and avoided some of the things that were probably um, the most uncomfortable, but were probably the best thing for me. Yeah. I mean, it's at some point, uh, action is the manifestation of all of it anyway. And uh, you're kind of saying it reminds me of like a cognitive behavioral therapy approach and the idea yeah. of like, you know, you, you work with your thoughts, that's going to affect your feelings um, versus the other way around and really being accountable to what they are. And that's going to affect kind of how the world is for you. But, you know, you were saying that your music during these times was, I don't know, I mean, you mentioned words like it was exploring a darkness or sort of nihilistic feelings you were having. And, but I still sense even in those uh, records, uh, hopefulness. Do you hear that? Yeah, I definitely believe that there's an uh, both and, not an either or in, in, in our music. There's, you know, the most common thing we hear about our music is that it makes me feel both happy and relieved and sad at the same time. Uh-huh. And and I do believe that that's true. And, and yes, um, you know, art for me has been this thing that... Uh, when I felt like I was living in kind of like an existential meaninglessness, it was something that would give me meaning. It was it was a meaningful outlet. It was a meaningful expression. And, and that connection with other people who are hearing our music and it's enriching their lives. It's entering into their emptiness and filling it up. That has just um, been an amazing thing. And so I know that... that um, not all our records were made like in this nihilistic thing. Don't get me wrong. It was just a period of yeah. of where things were coming to, you know, a, a, shall we say a conclusion um, for that part of my life. And um, it was a stripping away. And I think a lot of inner work is not really about adding anything because everything we need is is inside. And it's it's a it's a subtraction rather than an addition. And so I do think that um our music has always had some kind of pointing towards some light, um, no matter how dark it may seem at times. Well, how does this nature of this, how does this happen when you're working in collaboration? Like this, I'm, I'm hearing so much about your process. I mean, how does this interact with Andrews, which may be different? Oh yeah. It's, and <laughs> see, the thing is, is that if there were two of us, two of me in the band, the band would not make it. We would end up beating the hell out of each other. Um, but Andrew is so, uh, without ego, <laughs> it's amazing. And he's That's a sweet, like, sounds like the best, uh, collaborator you could have. Yeah. And it's, so he's, he's a sweet soul, but, but super talented. And, um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm definitely like, you know, kind of the idea visionary, like here's, you know, here's where I think we should go. And, um, and a lot of times, you know, each record kind of manifests itself after a period of struggle, you know, for the two of mm-hmm. us working together. Um, but the way Andrew works is he just works. And and he he's a guy that like, you know, we live in Nashville. There's songwriters. Everybody's writing every day. Every mm-hmm. single day there are songs being written. 
And it's because it's a craft and people look at it like I got to exercise my muscles, you know, and some days you write badly and some days you write well. And sometimes you sit outside your body going, well, well, where did that come from? You know, and that's when you feel more like a channel, but you got to show up for those things to happen. And so we kind of place ourselves in in the position of, of if, if inspiration is going to show up, we want to be there when it happens. However, I am much more of the type of right now, I don't want to just for, you know, uh, out of habit, keep working. Um, I want to I want to have some purpose uh, as far as like feeling like we're being honor. We're, we're, we're honoring the muse, you know, we're honoring the inspiration. We're honoring the channel where it might come from. And so we've for like the last three months, I've I've uh, taken it easy Um I've worked a little bit on my own here at the house and working on some other stuff with another person. But Andrew's been been at his house working and and um, kind of the way we work now is he gets some ideas. I give some ideas. Most of the time we end up not using any of them. We just start working on new stuff together. Do you often work in the same room together? Is that, oh, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. how you like to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, lately we... I would say, you know, um, every, yeah, yeah, we do. I would say overall in the end, what ends up on, on the record is, is the thing that we did together in a room. And you're, you've been doing some, uh, like scoring too, right? Cause you did the Ricky Gervais or was that a hammock project? Yeah. 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 We did, uh, so he, he had nine pieces of music and then afterlife two, there's nine, pieces in that that's coming up and uh we did a columbus an art film about architecture and um uh yeah man it's been cool i mean i i left the monastery last what monday and i had been off the grid for six days and as i'm leaving um my manager sent me a text when i was finally able to receive text and he said that we had we had gotten played at this Kobe Bryant memorial service celebration of life thing for mm. Nike. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of that kind of stuff happens with us, which is very cool, you know, but it's not at all the reason we do it. Sure. Yeah. Is it, is it true that you're not touring as much? I mean, as a conscious no. choice? Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Um, I mean, I feel like maybe we want to tour, that might be something that we need to do before we release another record. Um, I think the main reason is because uh, Andrew and I have been in Nashville, you know, for a very long time and we have worked in all kinds of different music and we burned ourselves out doing just the, you know, trudging through and, and traveling and, and, you know, living in vans and, and buses and all of that. And so honestly, um, the main thing is that we like to do shows that make sense to us. And, yeah. you know, the first first show that we did um, live was for Yancey and Alex, you know. and, and That's the first show you did? That's the first show that we ever did was <laughs> for just, Yancey and Alex. I just saw their tour, uh, the last one. Yeah, I went to, did you? Uh, yeah, I went to uh, Denver to catch the show. It was beautiful. Yeah, we were going to go, um, but we missed it. Uh, yeah, I mean that that's crazy the way that happened. I mean, it was back in MySpace days and I sent <laughs> Rice Boy Sleeps a a, a message ah. and I didn't I didn't know who they were. 
I didn't know who they were. You're and, not the and first he, person to tell this kind of crazy MySpace story. That's and, like, and yeah, yeah, no. And Yancey wrote back and said, uh, "This is the best thing we've heard on MySpace. You've got it down. Great soundscapes married with great melody." And then my friend who owned an art gallery used to own an art gallery. Uh, hit them up and asked them if they wanted to display their art for the first U.S. exhibit, and they agreed. And then. Uh, they asked us to play their after party. And so we wrote all different brand new music that just the two of us could pull off. And we performed it for them um, and some other people who were there. And uh, Yancey toasted us in the middle of it. You know, it was very beautiful. They're very awesome. They're awesome and sweet and kind and loving and, and open. And, and, um, and then we came back to Nashville and we decided to make a record out of what we had written for their live event. And we asked them if we could name it after a piece in their art exhibit called Maybe They Will Sing For Us Tomorrow. And they came back and said, yes, you can, if you let us design the cover. So they they uh, designed the cover for us. And, oh, um, man. So that's our first show. So so that see, you, you kind of go downhill from there. Yeah, you're killing <laughs> it over my first show. Good God. That's way worse than that. <laughs> and then the next time we played, we were opening for Stars of the Lid in Washington. And then the next time we played, we went out to New York and did Wordless Music. And that was us and Stars of the Lid then. And um, and we've done like art exhibits uh, around town. And, you know, it, for us, it's just got to make sense, you know, for us to do it because we're such perfectionists. We just really, really try to, I mean, we 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 really try to pull off a good, mellow live show you know because mm -hmm. we're doing every we're not like we use some loops but we're creating loops live as we go and mm -hmm. and um it's got to be on i mean there's a lot of head nodding in our shows because we're not like set to a just a grid you know we're like hey about to hit it okay you know and look at each <laughs> other and nod and so yeah that's it's a challenge i would I, I, I would like to go out you should. I mean, I'm sure people would enjoy it, but I fully understand like how much work it is and how you want it to be done a certain way. And sometimes that means you're going to lose money because you want to, you know, you want all the exactly. you want it done right. Exactly. I mean, we were asked to do um, Big Ears Festival, and we love that festival. And Wing Victory's doing it this year. Max Richter's done it, and I mean, everybody's done it. Um, and we turned it down because it it wasn't enough time for us to assemble uh, the lineup that we wanted to work mm -hmm. with and mm -hmm. to get it into in the shape that we wanted it to. Um, and it wasn't it, it's not really about the money because I, I will tell you, I've learned that just like, you know, live shows when they're done right can pay off in the end um, and create a momentum in, in, in itself. And, and uh, there's something about doing your music live in front of an audience that makes you feel like you're really a musician, you know, as opposed right, to right. like, like a, a project, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it, they are kind of different beasts. Um, but I was, I was talking to slow meadow, Matt, he was, yeah. you, you guys both did rework. So thank you for that, by the way. And Absolutely. Uh, he was on the podcast and he was just mentioning that you've been a real mentor to him. And we were talking about this nature of performing live. And for him, too, it's sort of a, I don't know, he comes at it with such intentionality that uh, he, he perhaps does it less than, I think. But I do remember him saying he was doing something with you live or like a couple months ago. 
Like there was something he was going to go do? Uh, it's not live. We're working on something. Um, okay. It's not, it's not a project that we're, we're doing together as far as like Matt and Mark, but we are working on someone's record. Gotcha. And that, that will be coming out later on, hopefully this year. And, um, and the other thing is just, you know, um, he, 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 he is a perfectionist and he doesn't need to worry about pulling off his thing live because he does fine. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's way more adept in, 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 in knowing the technology and getting everything that he needs to, to pull off a decent live show. And if we went out and, and played live, Matt would be part of our team. Um, probably be an opener and then probably be basically like the music director of the whole thing. Well, that says a lot. Yeah. You guys have a real mutual admiration. You you put his work on a label that you started, right? A couple years ago? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hammock music. Um, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was like uh, about seven years ago when I met him mm-hmm. and um, we had a mutual friend and, uh, just really hit it off. Um, we both have a similar background of the way that we were raised. And, um, of course he's younger than me and, um, uh, he was picking my brain about just, Hey, will you listen to this? And just the way he went about it was very humble and just very, just like, I have no expectations of you and, and, but would you listen to this? And, um, and I did, and, and it, and it, and it helped to have a mutual friend that I respected to tell me how that he was really good with, with music and so um took it and listened to it and uh i just kind of nudged him a little bit to say do do more with the piano and and go that direction and um and it's been a very very uh fruitful uh relationship for both of us i think i hope i hope it has for him he's only said great things to me but it seems <laughs> like it's been great for him yeah yeah he, he's coming up in about uh, two, three weeks to spend a few days here um, to work on that thing that we're working on. Cool. So tell me about the Ramdas rework that you did for uh, the Ramdas album because uh, you guys were the first ones to do a rework. You did it quite early. And I want to say thank you to that because that really helped kickstart other artists saying yes. And another artist who did one, speaking of MySpace stories, Peter Broderick, was yeah. how he's on the podcast and he has, I don't know if you know that crazy story, how he MySpaced uh, after Clang. And, oh, yeah? Yeah, and then ended up like being in their band for five yeah. years and it basically yeah. started his entire life. It's from a message yeah. on MySpace. He's like, I like your stuff, you know? So there's now there's two. But <laughs> that's, that's, that's crazy. It blows my freaking mind. Um, but uh, tell me about why you obviously had a relationship with Ramdas or something about that meant something to you. And you guys did two uh, remixes, Nature and Dark Thoughts. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, years ago, a movie called Fierce Grace came out. <sighs> it's so good. I love that movie. And uh, my wife and I saw it in the theater at the Nashville Film Festival. And, um, um, you know, I, I I lived in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and it's kind of like, you know, it's got like a lot of new agey stuff there, you know, and yeah. it's cool. Um, but uh, it was uh, my wife and I and a friend of ours and, in you know, it's about him 
as he says, when he was stroked, you know, and, and it was a fierce grace. His stroke was considered to be a fierce grace. And um, there's a scene in the movie where the couple is reading a letter that Ram Dass uh, wrote to them. That's my about- favorite scene. Yes. I have it right here. I, I can read you the letter. I want wrote. you I to. It. I want you to because I was just, I just met someone at the Ram Dass retreat who is telling me a story. And I was like, you know, the answer. Oh, I remember was a woman. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is part oh, of your ahead. story. This is great. I met someone whose um, family owned the helicopter service. I don't know if you remember right around the, um, the new year, there was a crash in Kauai where like seven yes. people died. That's her mm-hmm. family's company. And three children were on board. And she's just telling me, she's, you know, I was listening to your music. I was at a performance. And she's like, yeah, I was having this this happening in me of of grief. And, you know, we've been going through this as a family and a community. And three children died. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what to do with it. And my response to her was like, you got to see this movie, Fierce Grace. And there's a moment when this couple comes dealing with the death of their child. And it's a letter that Ramdas wrote to them. And they read it. And I said, I feel like that letter could be written to you. So if you could read some of that, I, I'll read it. But I, I, I need to say, Go ahead. I, I, I will. I, but I need to say this: that there's there's a portion in the film, and as I've gone online trying to find, uh, this is the book, the the new um, this book, walking each other, yeah, home. walking each other home, yeah, um, by Bush. And so, so, but there's a part that gets left out, including in the one I'm about to read, um, where. Ramdas says, you may emerge from this more dead than alive. And for some reason, all the copies of that letter that I've read online and that's in this book, leave that part of it out. I found it, I think, once online where it was. And I went back, I was like, did I imagine this? Is it like edited out? And and I, I don't know, because... It's so real. You know what I mean? It's kind of basically saying, hey, you're going to walk with a limp. Yeah, you know? it seems and, important. And, yeah. And, 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 and actually on the first Hammock album, we have a song on there called um, More Dead. Uh, let's see. You, yeah, You May Emerge From This More Dead Than Alive. That was, that's literally came from that movie um, and that part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it struck me as Ram Dass, as she's reading these words from Ram Dass, that, you know, um, the reason we chose Dark Thoughts is because uh, I love what he says about, like, because it's the same thing that I was dealing with at the time and continue to do with, like, like, you know, there's one thing to manufacture your own misery and to be in, romantic with your dark thoughts, you know. And and we love them, you know. We 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 just take them out, want to dance with them, and just you know, and entertain them. And 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 it's crazy because even in art, you know, even in film, like it's it's like for you to be real, it it requires you to be dark. You know, it's like oh, that's a dark film, man. That's pretty real, you know. But the truth is, is this letter that Ram Dass wrote has this balance between facing reality square in the face, and yet also reminding you that there's more going on here than you might understand. That's, um, that's his magic, yeah. And, 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 and when he says, you may emerge from this more dead than alive, after my nephew died, um, I just pulled out the film and read that, you know, and watched that scene again because uh, my nephew wasn't murdered, but he died a young man from this really horrible disease that he, uh, that, that manifested itself when he was probably about 15, 16 years old. And, um, and so, uh, this letter for me has been something that I always go back to, and I'll just read it. Um, 
It says, Dear Steve and Anita, Rachel finished. Oh, you know, let's tell a story. Their daughter, 11 year old daughter, was murdered. Yeah. And, um, and they don't know what to do. They don't know how they're going to walk through this. Right. And this is Ramdas, what he wrote to them. Dear Steve and Anita, Rachel finished her work on earth and left the stage in a manner that leaves those of us left behind with the cry of agony in our hearts as the fragile thread of our faith is dealt with so violently. Is anyone strong enough to stay conscious through such a teaching as you are receiving? Probably very few. And even they would only have a whisper of equanimity and peace amidst the screaming trumpets of their rage, grief, horror, and desolation. I can't assuage, assuage you your pain with any words, nor should I, for your pain is Rachel's legacy to you. Not that she or I would inflict such pain by choice, but there it is, and it must burn its purifying way to completion. For something in you dies when you bear the unbearable. And it is only in that dark night of the soul that you are prepared to see as God sees and to love as God loves. Now is the time to let your grief find expression. No false strength. Now is the time to sit quietly and speak to Rachel, to thank her for being with you these few years and encourage her to go on with whatever her work is, knowing that you will grow in compassion and wisdom from this experience. In my heart, I know that you and she will meet again and again and recognize the many ways in which you have known each other. And when you meet, you will know in a flash what now it is not given you to know, why this had to be the way it was. Our rational minds can never understand what has happened, but our hearts, if we can keep them open to God, will find their own intuitive way. Rachel came through you to do her work on earth, which includes her manner of death. Now her soul is free, and the love that you can share with her is invulnerable to the winds of changing time and space. And that deep love include me and love Ramdas. Yeah, that's total mastery and so beautiful. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's it's uh, it was it was difficult for me to read that, like you know, after my nephew died because. Um, why? You know, I, I, I'm, I, because I, I don't have exactly, I don't have exactly maybe the same belief structure as Ram Dass. Um, it's just hard for me to, you know, it was difficult for me to accept that, that was this supposed to be, or was this an accident or was this a, a providential accident or was this an incarnation, you know, whatever it is, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like my whole life has been like trying to figure out the mystery rather than participating in it, you know? And I just want to jump in and, and be with it and be with my sister and not go to like, try to figure out the ins and outs of it. And so now that I've gotten some distance and this is what time does, if you, if you do the work, when you get some distance from it and it's not smothering you like it is, cause I mean, grief doesn't go away. Right. Um, it's just so big and you have such a small space for such a great grief that it's going to burst you open and it's, and it's tight and it's, it's, it's extreme. It's, it's the loud trumpets, as he says, sounding out, it's a rage and it's, and it's all of that. And then as you get distance away from it and you're doing work, what happens is you become a bigger container for the grief and you're able to hold it without it smothering you. And, um, 
And then suddenly you can start to see other perspectives and maybe gain different meanings from it. But having said all of that, um, you know, the three records that we made dedicated to my nephew and in honor of his memory dedicated to my sister, the lessons that we've learned, uh, the compassion and the empathy that has grown inside of me. Um, I would give all that shit back, man, for another 30 seconds to a minute with my nephew. That's 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 what love is. You know, love is taking that risk to where this is going to hurt me to love you. And 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 when the absence is felt in such a great way, what it means is that the presence meant so much meant so much to me that um, the absence is is great. You know, um, I went to the monastery about two or three weeks, two and a half weeks after my nephew died, and it was very intense. Um, and I did. I, I I conversed with him. You know, I mean, I felt silly doing it, but I mean, I remember Ram Das was said in that letter. You know talk and i did and yeah. it was very very beautiful there's a thread in that letter of sort of speaking to the contradiction of the perfection of everything and sitting with the horribleness of it at the same time and i find that same thread in like a buddhist koan you know and it's sort of the mystery Absolutely. itself and that can be really angering and frustrating to hear that kind of message and that's something that ramdas was delivering so artfully to that couple, as opposed to just saying like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. And uh, yeah, everything does happen for a reason. Your, 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 your kid was murdered by a murderer. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And it's <laughs> That's like the reason or, you know, the karma is karma. And it's like, you know, that's what yeah. that is what it is. It's like, that doesn't, it's, there's a coldness to that. Uh, but I, I felt that truth and that thread still uh, expressed in that letter. And that's what was so beautiful about it because it's a tricky thing for us to, to hold as humans, the contradictions of like, the only way through grief is to grieve in time. And at the same time, uh, you can't see anything in the enormity of the happening while you're in it. And like you said, stepping back is the only way you're going to be getting perspective after time has passed. And that's just, those are just truths of, of what it means to be here. And and the things that we know with a capital K, uh, we only really know that in our hearts. We never can actually put our finger on it and say like, yes, I've been here before and this is all reincarnation or this all has meaning. It's just sort of a a truth we have to hold as we walk through our lives and you see sort of the signpost looking back and you're like, sometimes you get those glimpses and those moments where things like when, when you break open and maybe you had that at that monastery where you, you there's sort of those loud moments where life really speaks to you. But it's very hard to see in the happening. Yeah, I mean, time takes time. What's in the way is the way, and the only way through is the way through, and mm -hmm. and that's what you have to do. You have to walk through it, and um, you know, for me, uh, this is where you know Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, says, you know, um, the 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 default mechanism for most of us when we go through these things is to escape using whatever it is we're going to use. And that's that's the the heart of the temp temptation is to to deaden those feelings, to deaden those emotions, uh, whether it be through whatever drinking, drugs, food, sex, whatever it is, you know, just even even spirituality. And that's where I think that, you know, if I had left and went to a session for two weeks, and and had and had just sat in with that grief, I don't know that I would have been able to do that. My head would would have been on fire, and my heart would have been bursting open. I needed space to grieve. And so 
um, for me, it's like the challenge was walking through this with eyes wide open, no escape. There is no escape, man. Um, no alcohol, no drugs. Um, and to just walk right through it. And the greatest gift that I have is that um, I was able to be present for my sister. Sober, plan the funeral, walk through it with her, uh, make all the phone calls to tell everybody, hey, your grandson died last night in his sleep from aneurysm, you know. And, um, and the sounds of those, those first reactions, those guttural, mm-hmm. visceral reactions when you hear such a shock, mm-hmm. um, it stays with you, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and that is, that is how, how can you make room to include that also? And that's, that's the thing. It's like, for most of us, we feel like we have to transcend and move on from the pain. And, in, and that almost can be interpreted as leave it behind. But there's this transcend and include that we have to do. You know, I got to transcend what's going on, but I have to include the work that was supposed that I'm supposed to get out of what happened. So I'm constantly transcending and including, transcending and including, and you know, moving past but carrying it with me. And and any time that you know, I, there's a lot of times that pain is the thing that wakes me up out of this, you know, these plateaus that I might hit. You know, it's like going up a mountain, plant my flag. Like, this is where I'm camping. This is where I'm going to stay. This is it. And then a storm hits and it blows your campground away. And you're like, well, I guess I must be, you know, supposed to keep going. And a lot of times that's what happens when we settle. It takes something disrupting like pain to get our attention. And we have two things that we can respond with that. We can get pissed off and angry and think that the world's not fair and everything's wrong and, and, and collapse on our little individual selves. Or we can expand and 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 use that to realize that we're just here to play a part in a bigger whole, and um and use that to help other people. How, it's been amazing how this has helped other people, you know. Well, how how has it helped other people for you? How is that just, part of the practice? Just uh, well, the music for one thing. Sure, the music has has been just uh, my God, man, the 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 correspondence that we've had in particular for, for Mysterium, Mm. people sense it, you know, there's this resonance that's coming through. Like this came from like, like that, that record flowed out of us. It just, woof, there it was. We still had to record a 40 piece choir and get all the strings and do the horns and, and everything else. But it just, woof, it appeared. And because the pain was so immediate and I think people sense that. And when they sense that, they they reach out to us and just say, hey, man, you know, I, I lost my brother last week. I lost my kid. And um, and, it, and if nothing else, it's a travel companion for their grief. And it's and not only is the music, but also my own pain is 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 it is an accompaniment to to the the pain that they're going through yeah it's like it's like it's a kind of witnessing too and a kind of accepting yeah and i hear you saying like part of that journey is us accepting things or sort of like ramdas saying is like to love it and to as opposed to pushing it away um when we witness someone else that's kind of the greatest gift we can give is to say like i really see it i see it um otherwise we can feel so alone so separate yeah. Yeah. I do think that um, this thing that's supposed to allow us to come together more in the form of our phones and 
being connected through the internet and all of that is almost allowing us to live in our own more private worlds, our individual selves, because we can create our own reality that just confirms what we already believe and never grow outside of that because we can, where we hang out, we're already used to what's being said. Um, and we, we are unable to really sit down and have like face-to-face conversations and get real and get vulnerable. Um, and sometimes I worry that that sense of separation is being fueled as opposed to the connection that could happen through, say, social media and other things. Well, I thank you for today coming on and sharing your own vulnerability and just not being afraid to dive into your own story of truth because here we are using technology as a way to exactly. just just be like, hey, we're all human beings. Here's my journey. And it's like, here's the shit I'm walking through. And it's the same thing that you're talking about. It's like other people are going through their own things. And it's like, okay, all right. There's a guy who like, maybe you look from the outside. It's like, he's got everything he needs. It's all, you know, he's, he's got everything he needs to have this great life. And you're like, you know, look at what's, look at your own path. You know, it's just a human being, just like everybody else. It's important to hear. Well, I mean, it, you know, I love that Ramdas. we're just walking each other home, man. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I believe that more and more. Um, I used to be a guy who, you know, um, really isolated, really isolated, you know, and, 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 it, and was able to do that because of the type of music we make, the way that we can make it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, since about six years ago, man, I have been forced out of that comfort zone. And <laughs> what I know is if you do the uncomfortable long enough, you can get comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a beautiful beautiful thing to experience, to move past the fear and move even with the fear, still holding it, but still going through and doing this thing that may be uncomfortable, but in the end is the best for you. Because at some point in my life, I figured out what was good for me and I kind of went with it. And then that automatically set some things out of my life that I really needed to, to accept and, and, and bring into my life. And um, now I'm looking for what's best for me, not just what's good for me. <laughs> that sounds like some words of wisdom of someone who's walked through life a bit. That's uh, some good way doorways to look for. And man, you know, back to the music. I don't know where I would be without it. I'm I'm grateful for my life. I'm grateful that Hammock has the impact that it does for people. And and um, you know, just a story on that Mysterium record. I have not been able to listen to that since 2017. And the last night at the monastery, last Sunday. Um, it randomly showed up. I don't listen to music until like the last night that I'm there. And um, I thought, all right, I, this thing kind of said, you know, hey, why don't you sit down and, and go with it? Mm-hmm. So I listened to that whole thing underneath these, the sky, Big Sur, you know, stars everywhere. And um, just began to weep and cry, man. And and then I get in my car and the first contact I have is with my manager. And he says, Hey man, the title track Mysterium got played at Kobe Bryant's memorial service or celebration of life service. So, and the the guy at Nike, the way he approached it was bizarre. He approached it with like this real reverence. He knew the story of my nephew. Mm. He knew that the music was dedicated to him and he knew that he wanted to use it to honor someone else. And mm-hmm. um, it was just amazing. You know, like I hadn't listened to that since 2017, allowed myself to walk through it, get in the car first contact I have with someone is, hey, your song's getting played to, you know, help other people 
grieve or whatever. And I, you know, I'm not a sports guy at all, but I appreciate it. You know, I'm, if it helped anybody, then so be it. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's like a lot of the stuff I make is some kind of medicine for myself. And then if other people, it helps them in any way, it's just sort of like icing on the cake. It's like, great. It often feels beyond me. I'm like, okay, that's, that's fantastic that that is, you know, I wasn't there. I had nothing to do with it. And you had this important experience. Um, it's a true blessing. It's a true blessing. Isn't it, a, isn't it bizarre how you can sit and organize sound waves in a certain way and then send that out and people will take it in? It has a life it of its literally, own. Yeah. It literally gives them a physical sensation, like a like a lump in the throat and, and, and a, a, a thing in their chest. And and you all, all you all we did was just sit down and sounds came out. <laughs> yeah. And, and we organized them in a certain way and sent them out and people are having experiences with it. Music I, that you know, it's the most immediate art form. It's just so the 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 impact and reaction is so immediate because it surrounds you. It just immediately goes in you. And um I just completely, you know, it's instrumental music. You know, there's no linear sequential storyline to follow. It's just sounds. And for some reason, it's resonating with certain human beings where it just, man, it makes them weep. It makes them experience the universe in a different way. It's just astounding. I think it almost is more universal, though, because it's instrumental. It's sort of like it's more open to the experience. It's more like guttural and visceral because I agree. music in general is. It's sort of like transcending all these things because it, it's just kind of this combination of uh, the constituent parts of our universe, like just ratios of you know, this is a one, this is a five, and like how that feels when it moves to something else. Like in our DNA, it gives us, like you said, an emotional response. And we, I really think we underestimate the role music and sound plays in our lives because it is so ever-present. I mean, just our voices are a form mm-hmm. of sound and music and rhythm. It's just, it's just everywhere. And right now, as far as literally recorded music, that's a new phenomenon in the human experience, and it's, uh, it's absolutely bigger than it's ever been, ever, ever, ever. You know, with Spotify growing and growing and growing, and people listening to more and more digitized music, it's just like it's a strange thing how we underestimate its power. And I, in some ways, I'm not sure we fully harnessed what it can all do for us. Yeah, man. I mean, I think of that Nietzsche quote: "Without music, life would be a mistake." And sometimes <laughs> I feel that 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 might be. I mean, to me, music has a way of of just breaking down walls and um, it the way nothing else can. I mean, like for me to experience like a Rothko painting, I have to sit down in in kind of this right mindset and allow myself to to be taken over by it. Whereas in meet with music, when I used to go in a record store, if I walked in. Within 60 seconds, heard something playing and I'd, I would just be like, who is this? I want to buy this because it's it's an immediate reaction, you know, and um, that's that's the beauty of music. And I agree with you. I, I don't I think our relationship with sound, man, that is so mysterious that that yes. sound does what it does to us, you know? Yes. Yep. And it's it's encoded in a lot of our ancient traditions, whether it's God spoke and then there was the universe or the Big Bang and then everything began. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, it's sort of, there's, and in some ways, you know, we're the echo of it all. This, you know, this reverberation of some original sound. That's it. Yeah. I just read something about, about being the echo when I was in the monastery. And that's, that's from um, the, the, our album, Raising Your Voice, Trying to Stop an Echo. 
It's a Zen, co- it's a, it's a zen koan, and it's that. really about how, how can you stop this echo? You know, what are you going to do? You're going to scream more? Yeah, you know? right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I love that, man. Well, I, it sounds like you've been on a real journey for the last six years, and if you're saying that you, you uh, maybe are less productive in this moment because you didn't have as much chaos, I'm going to say that maybe it's a good thing. Maybe you could use a little bit of a rest. As always, I, I, always good I agree. to rest. <laughs> always <laughs> I agree. good. I agree. Um, and we're sending yeah. our love, of course, to Andrew and what he's going through. Um, so It sounds so fresh, but, uh, man, it's just a wake-up call to how everything is so real. Everything. We're just... And everything is so impermanent, man. Yes. It all, it's, it's like just... when people say, hey, this is all a game. And I'm like, yeah, and it matters. It's both at exactly. the same time. Like it... <laughs> exactly. It's both in. <laughs> yeah. And that, yeah. There, that's the mystery right there. So um, thanks, dude. I really, really appreciate getting a chance to connect with you and the perseverance to make this happen. And uh, thank you again for the Ramdas reworks and and the music you make. I was just listening to Silencia before we did this conversation. It's just a stunning work. It's just beautiful. Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. that. I really those three records. I kind of feel like they need to sit out there for a while before we re, re, we release another one. You know. Sure, I, I like that feeling. I mean, it's something we could use more of these days. Is a little patience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More music, yeah. Hammett. Yeah. Come on, more yeah. music. <laughs> We want a single a week. Yeah, <laughs> I know, man. It's it's crazy how immediate everybody wants music all the time, and it's not a conveyor belt, man. You know, no, it is not. It takes a lot of work to yeah. to get, especially when you're like, as you say, in recording choirs and strings. It's like I and mixing it. I get it. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of steps. <sighs> yeah. It is, man. Yeah, it is. even when it flows. Well, man, th- th- thank you for having me on here. You know, and and and, and yeah staying with it because uh i did a podcast since i had to bail on on the last time we were supposed to be together and um it, it ended up working out fine i fa- i figured out what happened and and you know it was just god it was uh no worries yeah, pretty stressful yeah no cool. worries here we are right. well um thanks again and uh i look forward to catching up with you another time soon or maybe crossing paths in person someday awesome Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. I was just uh, really grateful he and I got a chance to connect. We had a little difficulty over several months making it happen for technical reasons and all sorts of things. And so it was just great that he stuck with it and we made it happen. They make such beautiful music. Um, if you, I'm sure you've heard it, but if you haven't, listen to it. And I, particularly their newest release, it's just, it's just a stunning work. This song you're hearing in the background is called Mysterium. It's a, a track by Hammock, and uh, you can you can check out Hammock's music wherever you listen to music. Thank you to them for offering this track for this podcast. Uh, there would be more from from me on what's going on. Uh, if you want to drop in, um, someone on social media, but certainly here on the podcast and on my email list about those uh, ceremony concerts, live streaming them. More info on that soon, as I can figure out some of the technical side of things and. If you want to support me, especially in these times, and you have ways, uh, extra cash to do that, you can do that um, at PayPal, at info, at eastforest.org, or Venmo, Trevor-Oswalt, O-S-W-A-L-T. Those are both ways you can throw me some coin if you want to help an artist that is uh, trying to stay afloat and trying to keep doing 
what I'm doing. Now more than ever, guys, you keep walking your walk. Don't take any of this shit. But when you do, do it with grace.